e longevity we're bringing space crypto and science to the masses we hope that you enjoy our first episode Welcome to the eLongevity podcast, everybody. This is our inaugural or flagship effort to bring eLongevity to the masses. I'm codenamed Lou, one of the early Discord admins and Dojalon lover, and uh, your host today as well. I have a deep love for the Methuselah Foundation and their mission to make 90 the new 50 by 2030. And I honestly do feel like it will be accomplished. We also want to introduce a new member to our family. Britannia, can you introduce yourself? Hello, um, I'm Britannia, zero, zero. Um, I have 15 years of healthcare experience um, on the biotech side um, in the commercial space. Um, I also bring with me my MBA, my master's in health administration. Um, and I've been a Dajalon holder since May of 2021. Wow. Thank you so much. We, we learned a lot about you already in your intro, <laughs> put a lot of good work in, and we appreciate how long you've been on the Dojalon front. So this is going to be an interesting episode, mainly because we have a special guest this evening, someone who has years of industry experience, particularly in the healthcare field. He's currently the, the Director of Patient Access at a large hospital in the DMV area, and we'd like to welcome this evening Lester Asher. So Mr. Asher, can you please introduce yourself to the e-longevity community? Yes, my name is uh, Lester Asher. I'm a director of an urban hospital in Washington, D.C. I've been in healthcare for about 35 years now. I have an MBA in finance and uh, a BS in management, and uh, I deal mostly with the financial piece of it. We like to call it the front end, and uh, we collaborate with finance departments. That's incredible. You've been in healthcare longer than I've been alive, Lester. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. <man. laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry? Well, I started um, uh, right at the beginning of when I just got out of high school and I ended up uh, working for an insurance a major insurance company while I was going through college. And eventually, um, as I was working for this company, I had a mentor that helped me to appreciate that I could make this uh, a career. And so um, from there, I started working there for 10 years. And then eventually I became, I started working in hospitals and professional billing and that thing, sort of thing. Amazing. Um, have you seen the landscape of the healthcare field change uh, during your tenure? Oh, definitely. I mean, when you think about healthcare, the way that it was administered back then, when I started in it, there was no such thing as an HMO or uh, any type of uh, major programs uh, that really assisted the indigent. Um, we didn't have charity programs. We didn't have any of those kinds of programs. And so the major carriers were about, you could count them on, on one hand um, that actually uh, was taking care of things. So now we have managed care. There's much more regulations that have changed. Laws have changed um, that make it more affordable and cost structuring has changed. Um, the way that we get reimbursed has definitely changed over the years. 
Got you. The one thing about this podcast, it's an acronym-free podcast. So can you explain what HMO means for everyone listening? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it means health maintenance organizations. Um, at one time, all insurances were what we call a PPO or provide, preferred provider um, organization. So you could pretty much go anywhere. Uh, uh, HMO is basically a company that sort of manages the health of the patient. And so companies elect that because it uh, gives them more freedom and to choose, you know, which organizations you can go to to get treatment and it holds down the cost of um, companies and what they're paying for insurance. Okay, understood. Now, what do you think is the cause for the current state of the medical care environment? I think part of uh, what's changed is that insurance has become very, very expensive. Healthcare has become expensive because of all the technology and advancements in technology, but technology is expensive. It is efficient and it definitely has gotten more efficient over the years. And so that affects the cost. So more and more companies are what we call cost sharing. They pass on part of the care to or the cost of the insurance and their personal care to um, to the consumer. And that's what we call consumerism. Uh, so uh, there's a lot more deductibles, co-pays, co-insurances that patients actually owe right now. And, and Lester, you've been in healthcare for a number of years, a lot of experience, and you've seen the landscape change. How do you see blockchain um, being utilized with the insurance companies? And the second part of my question is, are you seeing blockchain making healthcare more efficient and affordable for patients? It definitely does. It gives them a, a lot more choices and it holds down costs. The more and more that you actually are in these blockchains and that uh, evenly distributes and so that we can negotiate. It gives us more leverage as far as negotiating and keeping costs down for the patient. And it's more efficient. It's more efficient to have it that way. And, you know, can you give any specific examples of how you've seen blockchain be more efficient and cost effective as it relates to the patient and the hospital system? Well, um, I just threw that I out there. Say, so I don't mean to put you on the spot like that. But. No, 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 <laughs> no, that, that's okay. I mean, as far as what you... Uh, I'll give you an example of supply chains. You know, at, at one time, uh, you know, we didn't have that. And so, you know, the cost of services, supplies, medication, pharmaceutical, all of that is part of holding down the cost. We can, it gives us more negotiating power and it keeps down our costs um, that we pass on to the patients. And so, um, there's lots of examples where that that actually works, and and also you know as far as uh, uh, holding down the length of stay, which we're deeply concerned about uh, for patients, they can get things a lot more quicker. Turnaround time as far as labs and that kind of thing um, keeps down the costs of everything. And you know, we have our audiences from, you know, very diverse backgrounds and, and different professions. And so when you speak about length of stay, right, you know, one thing I, I guess to speak on is 
with uh, the Affordable Care Act and and healthcare systems, the one of the uh, one of the main cost effective ways to reduce costs is to um, shorten the length of stays. Right, that's where hospitals they yeah. are. Um, what's the word I'm, we're looking for? Um, penalized, right, on the cost of stay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I had a question about as well, because I, I heard you saying like you know the healthcare system has matured when it comes to technology as well too. And one thing that may help when it comes to length of stay might be AI or artificial intelligence when it comes to diagnostics. So have you seen like a uptick in AI when it comes to procedures, diagnostics as well too? And are hospitals, especially the one that you work at, are, are they adopting it or integrating into the healthcare? No, definitely so. When you think about it, I see a lot of it as far as uh, with cancer research and studies uh, that they've done. A lot of hospitals are now, um, especially with the study of genomics, where they study you based upon your history, your physical history, and what's in your uh, family's history, that they can treat you more efficiently. Um, a lot of the therapies that they're using uh, for uh, radiation oncology as far as uh, being able to get results back uh, a lot quicker uh, with cardiac uh, services, uh, that too, the robotics and all of those types of treatments are definitely cutting down. Um, uh, surgeries are not as invasive as they used to be. And so that cuts down on the lift of state patients or say, for example, uh, used to be if you came in for a cardiac cath procedure and you were having it done at a hospital, that was usually about a five-day stay. Now patients can have that and literally go home the same day, provided there's nothing wrong. Incre that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, so here's my question. So AI is being adopted, but of course, these procedures have gotten way more expensive as of late, right? So in regards to like the insurance behind all those things, uh, what is like a, a blockade or what is a, a, a hurdle that one may have to go through to get these and what may make it easier? Well, one of the things that may be a blockade into it, like you said, it's expensive. And so when you think about uh, things like that, then what we have to do is negotiate more. And a lot of it, um, we have to get the insurances to agree to that. Insurances uh, or the payers, I should like to say that, not insurance, just say payer. Payers are concerned, especially with HMO, um, of holding down the cost of things. And so part of that is getting that approved. We All insurances follow the rules of CMS, or the Center for Medical Services, which is run by the federal government. So trying to get those things approved through um, the Food and Drug Administration and, and making sure that that's more efficient and um, that there's actually what we call a, um, once we get that approval, then we have to make a case to the insurance that this is, um, um, uh, that this therapy and what's, what's it going to do for length of stay. A lot of doctors are involved, decision makers are making that. So they're always having new things that are being introduced. And Lester, do you get a lot of uh, resistance from from payers <laughs> um, with regards to these new technologies, blockchain technologies? 
Um, yes. First of all, you for anything that's new, they they, they want to make sure that it's sufficient, and they are concerned about length of stay too, and especially with the health maintenance organizations, um, they are concerned about the length of stay. So when we say length of stay, from the time that you arrive in the hospital and they decide that you're going to be admitted or the doctor, physician, or attending physician decide, we're already discharging you. So we're planning. So when you have therapies like this or things like mm-hmm. that, you have to make sure that the insurance company is going to support it. And especially if it's an HMO or it's a, a PPO, because it can be very, very expensive. So there are challenges. Um, I can't tell you. There was one that we recently did that was uh, quite expensive. Uh, and now we're going through the, the process of getting that approved. Wow, thanks for sharing. I feel like this is definitely an education for us as patients in the future hopefully we don't have to be patients but definitely uh, a lot to think about um so lester as you've seen the landscape change as you mentioned before what do you think is like the next frontier in healthcare? the the next thing that'll kind of revolutionize your job or or the healthcare field as you see it genomics i think genomics is the next phase um, of course, a lot of things like cryotherapies and things like that, those are on the frontier already. But I think uh, part of the study of genomics and how you treat patients. So they're taking a, a whole different approach to a lot of things. Um, one of the goals of a lot of the health maintenance organization um, is getting patients the care that they need and having a primary care physicians. So I think what you're going to probably see in the very near future on this already happening is more and more uh, freestanding outpatient um, centers being open so that people can have an, um, a physician that will treat them and treat their whole case. Uh, a lot of, uh, especially in rural communities and uh, where they not necessarily have a primary care physician, but a lot of nurse practitioners are out there in the field. They're visiting people in their homes, uh, following up on things, diabetes and things like that can be managed at home if they have what's just been identified um, and have proper care and follow up with a nurse practitioner or physician assistant. Wow, thank you for that. Ashley? Yeah, and I think that's something that we're seeing now, right? We have urgent care facilities because there's limited access to primary care physicians, especially in the rural area and even in the metropolitan areas um, because it helps cut down admissions to the ER and into the hospital. Yes. Yes. And we're actually getting ready to open up two within the next two months. And it's going to be on that side of town where there's not necessarily an urgent care. Uh, in D.C., what we call uh, Ward 7, which is tends to be the, uh, the area of town where there's, um, you know, a, not a lot of health care and not a lot of access. And so that's a real win-win because it uh, actually helps patients to be treated 
at by a physician and the care being managed by a physician at an urgent care center rather than to be in a hospital setting. Gotcha. That's incredible. I appreciate your uh, your efforts with that, and hopefully it's a success as well, too. I know for a fact those in Ward 7 are going to benefit from that um, coming coming to town, basically. Um, so as, uh, as we wrap it up, what can we do to educate ourselves when it comes to insurance, when it comes to health care, to make our, if we do have to go to the hospital, let's say, that we can make it a, a more efficient visit? I think one of the important things um, is educating patients on what they actually, um, their insurance actually is. Many times people, a lot of um, consumers don't actually read their insurance manual until something goes wrong. It's sort of like your your car, you don't, when you see the red light come on and says, okay, go get maintenance, that's the first time you open the actual manual to find out what's going on. So we're doing a lot of educating uh, the consumers, say, okay, this is what a co-insurance is, this is what a copay is. You need to shop more. Um, if you have a PPO, shop around. If it's if it costs this much here, what is it at this hospital or that hospital? So you know how to manage your care. And I think that's what blockchain is going to help improve in the healthcare setting, right? There's going to be more transparency from a patient standpoint and negotiating power for the patient. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, with the new law that came in effect a couple of years ago, hospitals have to be transparent about the cost of services. So there's no more of where they can't. Um, that's enshrouded in secrecy. It has to be exposed. People should be able to go to a website and say, it costs 500 here, it costs $1,000 here, but my doctor's here. So then they have choices. That's a, that's a great point. Transparency is the way of the future. As we get more decentralized, it's important for everyone to know exactly what is happening. I got to tell you, Lester, we really appreciate you visiting our our little podcast this evening. We really appreciate your time, your expertise, and the education. Britannia, as well, we appreciate you being here. Um, you, you, do you, either one of you have any closing comments? I don't have any closing comments. I just uh, appreciate Lester's time um, that he's contributed to this podcast and just the information um, that he's sharing because it's just so important that people understand um, the power that they have as a patient, right? Whether you're a patient or a caregiver. So um, I do want to thank you, Lester, for your time. And I, and I think one thing that's very important is that everybody needs an advocate. Yeah. So when you think about your your healthcare, it's it's you own it. This is your your personal. This is your body. This is your life. And so you need an, an advocate that will help to educate you and navigate you through the healthcare system, especially when you're facing a life um, situation where you have to make decisions. That that's golden information. So hopefully you're open to being my advocate, Lester. Uh, after this, <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> uh, so this has been the Elongevity Podcast. We like to thank all of our supporters, our community, our, our hosts, our guests, uh, the producers as well. 
And please feel free to visit and support our Elon Discord as we have more episodes coming. Good night, everybody. Good night.